Hey everybody, Clint Fosley here and welcome to the 20th edition of the Clint Fosley podcast all about dealing with diabetes with Alyssa Renauf, probably butchered that last name from Diabetes Easy. Now I personally have never really had any dealing with diabetes and once you get a handle of this podcast, it will blow your mind in terms of the additional load, so to speak, on a, on a, on a family when, when someone is diagnosed with diabetes. Bit of a spoiler, but it's a 17 and a half additional hours per week per child that has diabetes. And Alyssa, being an overachiever, had five kids with diabetes. So this is all about her story and her journey about coming to terms with diabetes, dealing with diabetes, and how through that um, she spotted an opportunity to open up a company called Diabetes Easy, all about helping people and enabling them to sort of make life easier with diabetes. Uh, we, we sort of follow Alyssa's journey through um, bottle feeding a camel, I think I got it right that time, and all the way through from her kids who are now adults and then obviously about founding a company and just chatting to her and understanding her story in terms of how she stayed sane, I guess, and, and managed that enormous load that she was on. Um, for anyone who's struggling, please you know, re- reach out to us as always, clintfoster.com forward slash help me. We've got three courses up live. We always love to hear from you. Follow us on the social channels at clintforsley.com. It's always good to chat to everyone. I just want to thank Alyssa so much for her time. It really was sort of a fascinating chat. And as I said in the podcast, I'm never going to complain about my kids leaving a towel on the floor again, because um, for what she went through was truly, truly amazing and remarkable. Anyway, strap in, enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Clint Fossley here and welcome to the 20th edition of the podcast. This is the fourth time we've tried to start this podcast due to technology issues and for those who know me as a nerd, you know that's worrying. I'm joined today by Alyssa Ranoff. Correct. Ranoff, well done. Uh, that's well done to me <laughs> for, pronouncing, <laughs> for, for pronouncing that right. And we're talking all about dealing with diabetes uh, and your company, Diabetes Easy. So mm-hmm. welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, once again, you've had a good day. I've had a lovely day. Uh, <laughs> did some gym, walk on the beach. And we discussed that I went kite surfing on take two and three. Uh, we won't go that. Mitch, you have not forgotten Daily Dose. Uh, if you're ever on the Sunshine Coast, best coffee in town. So thanks, brother. Um, so thank you and welcome to the podcast. Anyway, um, so I, I got introduced through Alyssa, to Alyssa through uh, a mutual friend, Megzi, and understood your story all about diabetes. Now, from, from my perspective, know a bit about type 2 diabetes, which is obviously just too much sugar, but your story was type 1, which we'll get into, and, and all the challenges and the enormous load um, that, that you dealt with, which is remarkable once you understand that. So what we always do in the podcast is just an intro where you grew up, you know, mm-hmm. your basic life story, and um, yeah, so over to you. Okay, I grew up in a small country town um, called Mergen. It's about half an hour the other side of Kingaroy, if anyone knows where that is. It's near Rook um, right? Yeah, it's, it's only two hours, two, two and a bit hours away from here. Um, I grew up on a farm. First of all, my young years, my parents were pig farmers and dairy farmers. And then we went to another property where it was mainly um, flood irrigation, crop farming. Oh, wow. So um, I was family of two other girls, so three girls in the family. 
Um, and I was more or less my father's son. So I was constantly with my dad. So yeah. I was, um, you know, ploughing, shifting irrigation, cotton chipping, stubble mulching, corn detasseling. We did a bit bit of everything. You, you lost me, but carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so so what is, you mentioned crop drowned. What? Um, flood irrigation. Yeah, so, what's that? So um, just water. So we lived on a creek bank. Yeah. So um, we used to, you know, shift pipes, furrows, yeah. run the water down the furrows to... Plan all, uh, water all the crops. Your crops or other people's? Or? My father's oh, your, crops. Oh, your, okay, so cool. it's about 620 acres. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And where are you and your with your, within your sisters? I'm in the middle. I'm are the you? problem child. <laughs> I have so much to say. <laughs> I'll keep quiet. Okay. So you farm life. Um, yeah. So just, I just loved being um, out out with my dad. Yeah. Um, I'd prefer that than being inside. I had pet pigs when I was a kid and bottle fed them and had them one at a time. Yeah. I probably had about six or seven pigs one at a time. I had a pet um, sheep. I had a pet kangaroo. Um, and then I ended up um, leaving home when I was 18. I yeah. actually um, was going out with a boy since I was 15. Yeah. Um, followed him down to Brisbane at 18. I, I started a finished school halfway through grade 11 did a hairdressing apprenticeship yep. and then transferred down to Brisbane when I was 18. Um, Steve and I were engaged at 18, married at 19. Wow, it's younger. It was, yeah. it was, but we'd been together since we were 15. Um, and then, yeah, I we ended up having our first child when we were 22 and I had my fifth child when I was 30. Well done, man. That's amazing. I actually had my first kid at 30. Okay. Yeah, yeah. not for... Um, okay, so so from from besides just being an outdoor kid, obviously on the farm, any sporting interests growing up at school? No, I uh, embarrassingly did Highland dancing, Scottish dancing. There's nothing wrong with that, huh? So I did that until I was about seventeen. There was nothing much on offer at Mergen, so yeah. that was that was. <laughs> there was no sports centre. Well, <laughs> actually, I um, yeah. it was a bit different growing up in the the country from grade one to six. Yeah, the um. The highest amount of kids in the whole school, grade one to seven, was nine. Are you serious? Yeah. So really, and actually someone brought up the other day, two of those were my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very small school. And then in grade six, we moved to another, um, uh, when my father bought another property, yeah. we went to another school and the maximum grade one to seven was 45 kids. So I actually That's had nuts. had other people in yeah. in my class. I so how many? That others. was like I had imaginary friends were gone, right? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's what's wrong with me. Yeah, I see dead people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, when I went to high school, then um, yeah. it was a bit different. I hadn't learnt the sports because there was not enough kids that's in crazy. the grades to learn those those team sports. So was it like the headmaster, the same teacher? I the, mean, how did they actually? There was work? only one teacher, one headmaster teacher. Yeah. In the first school, Windra State School. And and then we went to Mondial State School and there was two teachers. That's that was good. it. Mm. That's crazy. Assembly was simple. Yeah, very simple. <laughs> so then in, in Brisbane, um, you said you moved there when you were 18. Yep. Did you finish your apprenticeship or, or what did you? transferred my apprenticeship. Tra okay. Um, I think I was only second year. Um, and I lived, my parents, um, yeah, I lived with my auntie and uncle down there. Yep. Uh, for a couple of years. I finished my apprenticeship. Steve and I, actually, it was funny because my parents 
um, wouldn't let me, wouldn't let us live together unless there was a commitment. So I always blame them for pushing us into getting engaged <laughs> so early. So we lived Different together. Times, huh? Yeah, from 18. And then um, when I finished my hairdressing apprenticeship, I did about another six months and then I ended up moving. I was sick of hairdressing and went and did a, um, worked at an optometrist as a receptionist and he taught me dispense, to dispense the glasses as well. Okay. Yeah, so that was that was quite cool. And then after I was married at 19, I ended up having my first child at 22 and then it didn't, didn't work after that, just looked after and had more babies. Had <laughs> more babies. So from uh, just understanding your story with diabetes was, was Stephen got diagnosed in 93. Yeah, so we just had a um, six-week-old baby when he yeah. got diagnosed. He was... Um, and similar age as well, so as you all older or younger? Pardon? Was he a similar age or...? As me? Yeah. Yeah, we were the same age. Okay, so, so he was 22 so at the time. He was 22. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he just had all the symptoms, thirst. He was losing a lot of weight in yeah. um, pre-season. And he ended up finding out he developed type 1 diabetes. So... We, we learned everything type 1, yeah. meant, you know, watching what he eat, the amount of carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, he was put on um, injections, so he was having five injections a day. So um, had breakfast, morning tea, uh, sorry, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then another injection before he went to bed. So only four, actually. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was interesting. But two of my uncles had type 1 diabetes, yeah. so I knew, knew a little bit about it. So, um, so for the layman's like myself, right, mm-hmm. you, you type 1, type 2, type 1 is genetic from what I understand. Yeah, they did, never thought it was genetic. It was just something that happened. It's an autoimmune disease. So the, the body actually turns around and it uh, attacks itself. Yeah. Um, it attacks the um, pancreas, the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. So um, they don't know what causes it. Uh, they have Probably sort of not. suggested... They suggested that um, maybe the rotavirus, like the vomiting and diarrhea mm-hmm. virus, some suggestions of milk, you know. Um, the, oh, wow. They say the A2 milk is better for people yeah. than the, I don't know if the other one's called A1. Um, but, yeah, they, they don't know what causes it. So um, it's just managing it. They, they told Steve when he was diagnosed that there'd be five years and there'd be a cure. Wow. But he's had diabetes now since he's 22, so what are we, 28 years yeah. or something. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And and so from him, from a diet perspective, because my understanding, he was like a top-level athlete. Yes. So so those guys burn a lot of fuel, right? Um, what, what, is, what is a, you know, for him and I guess for a, a typical type 1 diabetic, what, what do they need to avoid? What are the, the gremlins from their blood sugar, you know, managing blood sugar? It's different. To, to type 2. Type 2, um, people are normally um, got to avoid sugar and carbohydrates. Yeah. Uh, with type 1, it's not avoiding them. It's actually balancing them out with insulin. So every carbohydrate that goes into your body, your body is not producing insulin for that. So you need to, to actually put that insulin yeah. in your body to balance that out. So And the only way is through injection? Yes, Yes, they have tried done trial on um, inhalable insulin. Yeah. Um, but that hasn't gone ahead yet. That's only in the last sort of ten years they've been trialing that. And and going back to, I mean, from my understanding now, you get implanted monitors that can actually warn you 
when you drop or is that yeah there is there's um so it's a, a continuous um blood glucose monitor yeah almost. so it's a, a sensor that's inserted they normally last around seven days and you can actually um, read your blood glucose level on on through your mobile phone or a device um there's still it's very accurate yeah. Um, but there's still that balancing act. So it's not just finding out your level. It's actually ad adjusting the insulin dose for that level. Um, there's, a, there's a lot. Yeah. When Steve was diagnosed with it, they didn't know a lot about it. So it was he was put on, you know, told to have, you know, um, six, six serves of carbohydrate for lunch, yeah. you know, four at breakfast or two at morning tea, yeah. just those sort of serves. And the same amount of insulin at different at, meals. At that serve. Um, such a dog, it wasn't me. What? Oh, that he fought you. <laughs> We've had a fighting incident, uh, first time on the podcast. If it was you, it you can blame me. the dog. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't you. No, um, no. This is uh, the first Harvey, seriously, buddy. Um, <laughs> uh, Where were we? Six serves of carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. So, so now um, it, it's we, we've learnt a lot more about diabetes and, yeah. and adjusting um, insulin to the to the food they eat. That makes it a little bit easier, but still, there's a lot of things that can affect it. So, um, stress, yeah. a um, a virus that you're getting, um, how much exercise you've burnt. So that can all affect the insulin to carb ratio. Because. Back in 93, thinking about myself, you know, from a like, rugby union perspective, you know, we used to go to the, the Sports Science Institute in South Africa, and they used to diagnose us basically high, fat was bad, right? So high carb, mm -hmm. you were literally living on carbs. carbs. That well, was, that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, you know, fat was bad, bacon was, you know, thank God that's good to eat now. But, um, but has the nutrition advice changed through the years as people have sort of learned that fat's okay again, like from avos and all that good fats and nuts. I would imagine so, yeah. yes. I think um, it's it's probably the type 2s have got to avoid the fat because that's, you know, their body is their body mass is too large yeah. for their yeah. insulin to, you know, to work properly. Um, but with with the type 1, it's it's having that balanced diet and, and just understanding what you're eating and then that ratio really. Yeah. And then you test it back in the day, I assume it's finger prick, right? The way yeah, so Steve was probably testing um, five to six times a day. But um, yeah, wow, it's sort man. of, um, you need, to, you need to, to understand what your levels are doing. Yeah. Mm. And it's on like this. And I think that's the thing if you, you know, having never dealt with that, just the, the, the relentlessness of it, right? It's just a daily habit. Well, I didn't understand how much um, I... It, how much Steve went through. You know, yeah. I was there when he had to do it, but obviously he could look after himself. It wasn't until my children started being diagnosed that I really, you know, could understand how much he went through. Which takes us to 2002. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie, by my first diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about that? I mean, well, I'll take you first through. You know, obviously, um, Steve got diabetes, yeah. and then so we had one baby then, and we got told that he had five percent chance of developing diabetes. 
So we went on and had two more children. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up with Graves' disease, an overactive thyroid. So it's an autoimmune disease similar to diabetes. And that obviously comes from my my uncle's side of the family. So what exactly is Graves' disease? um, An overactive thyroid. Okay. Which means? Um, Sorry, your metabolism speeds up. So my I was down to 45 kilos and my resting heart rate was 120 a minute. Serious. So it and that was going to bed at night. So it was just pounding away. So obviously just medication tablets. They wanted to remove my thyroid yeah. or um give me radioactive iodine to kill it off. But that also meant that I couldn't be around the kids for two weeks. So I had three young kids. I think they were under they were under four, I think. Yeah. Um so I, I that wasn't an option. We asked the doctors, because it was the same family as diabetes, we asked the doctors, what's the chance of the kids getting this? And they still gave us 5% 5%. chance. So then we went on and had a couple more children, five healthy children, no problems. We went over to England for a couple of years, came back. And then um, 2002, Charlie, the second youngest, was three. Um, And he he went to the kids would go to bed with a, a water bottle beside their bed and... Um, he came out that morning and asked me to fill the water bottle. Yeah. And I thought, that's odd, you drank all of that. And straight away I thought, can I, and I asked him, can I test you? And the kids were quite okay with the testing. Their dad always had it. They'd let him test them yeah. every now and then. Um, but he didn't want to. So I thought, okay, well, tonight when you go to sleep, yeah. I'll test you. And, and that's, that's a, the pinprick, right? That's the fingerprint yeah. test, yeah. A um, little bit of blood into the meter and it'll tell you the blood glucose level. So I ended up um, that night, one of the other, the baby, Fred, he was sick. So I'd been to a, an after-hours doctor and I came home and got into bed at 12 o'clock that night and I went, Steve, did you test Charlie? Yeah. And he said, no. And I went, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. And he goes, no, no, leave it, do yeah. it tomorrow. And I thought, no, I, I said I was going to do it. Yeah. So I got out and tested him and his level was 20 and what's normal? It to... should be between, well, really, it should be below six. If not, oh, wow. it should be between four and five properly. So, so it was through the roof. It was through the roof. And I thought, he must have sugar on his finger. So I went and got a washer <laughs> and, and washed his finger and yeah. did it again. And he still came up the same. And just to pause there, so obviously insulin negates that and brings the sugar levels down. Yes. Correct. And the, the, the risk for someone sitting at blood sugar level, what, what are the side effects? I mean... The realities of it. The highest ketones. Okay. So um, that longer term is a huge risk. Um, and and it can be a risk for a newly diet or an undiagnosed because we don't know how long he's been sitting that high. Yeah. And whether he has ketones or yeah. how sick he actually is. He was still he was still healthy. Um, but in saying that, a lot of parents wouldn't have the knowledge that I had to go test him. So unfortunately, that can go on for six weeks and that child's sitting that high for that long. And some kids that most, a lot of kids that present, or it's probably getting better now, people are more aware, would be going into intensive care because they're that Like like that? Yeah. So So it was just lucky that um, when you, well, I sort of was aware that, this could be a problem. So I rang emergency um, and they said, bring him in straight away. And I told them that their dad had type 1. Yeah. I said, what does this mean? Because I didn't know if this was just a hiccup or what yeah. it was. And um, they said, yeah, it probably means he's got type 1. So we went into hospital. Um, they did a whole heap of bloods and started him on insulin the next morning. Yeah. yeah. And and now 
having a child with diabetes, mm. I don't know if it was on your blog or somewhere else where I was doing research, 17 hours of extra care per child per week? The, the educators... Is that the number? Yeah, the diabetes educators, well, that what they've done research, and yeah. they say it takes about 17 and a half hours to look after one diabetic child. Now, in that, they've included oh. doctor's appointments and yeah. things like that. But my... That's my, a week, huh? Um, yes. So my my daily routine with one child, obviously um, a three-year-old can't tell you what they're feeling yeah. and you're administering insulin. So you've got to be careful of the lows, the hypos, yeah. that they've um, got too much insulin in their body. Yeah. And what's the converse? Like what's the side effect of having that low when they when their blood sugar levels zero? Yeah, the, the early symptoms are shaky, yeah. um, uh, lethargic, maybe slurred speech, um, pale, yeah. could be grumpy too. So sounds like all my mates. Yeah, hangover. well, yeah, it's, it's a three-year-old child, <laughs> yeah. really. Why are you hungover? Like, what did you get stuck into? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my um, so so the risk of a three-year-old, they can't tell you what's wrong with yeah. them. So it's actually testing them to see what their levels are. So if they're chucking a tantrum, are they chucking a tantrum because they're having a hypo or just they're just being a naughty child? So an average day is testing their blood glucose level, um, breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, yeah. dinner, before I went to bed, and then at one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So you had to wake, like that was your... Yeah, that was a daily routine. And Steve, with that, um, it wasn't until... We got our second diagnosis. Yeah. Um, the Billy, the second second eldest, was eight and a half. And he told me a symptom, and I'm not sure what it was. I can't remember. But I said, here, can we test you? And he was 13. And I thought, okay, well, I won't ring the hospital yet. Let's see what happens yeah. throughout the day. By 3 o'clock that afternoon, he was 17. And so I rang the specialist, and he said, bring him in tomorrow morning, which was New Year's Day. Um, Yay. And we started, started him on insulin. But it was then that I said, okay, Steve, come on, you need to help me. So we used yep. to do week about, um, and whoever was week about, it was Fridays, um, the the person who was on had to do the testing before we went to bed. They went to bed, yeah. testing at one o'clock in the morning, feed the dog and turn the dishwasher on. So it was either you look forward to Fridays or you <laughs> were going, oh, my God, I've got a big week ahead. And then you sat for that routine for the week. Yeah, yeah. So it, it just meant that I you could have a break. Yeah. Because that, that 9.30 and the 1 o'clock is, is pretty – it's the 1 o'clock one that it yeah, catches you. Yeah, it does. Because then you'll wake – I mean, I know myself, I'll wake up my mind will be somewhere else and then you'll turn for a couple of hours. And... Yeah, well, fortunately, I think from having that many children, I was used to being <laughs> up and down, up and down. So You've um, gone quickly. I, I just go straight back to sleep, yeah. <laughs> no, because I, I was actually chatting to, to my, a good mate of mine who's my GP uh, and the kid's GP and he knows a family with one, one, uh, one kid with diabetes and they said, like, it's just such a load just with one, let alone two, three, four, and five, as we'll, as we'll find out. So at what age would you say the kids could start self-testing? And were they, were they religious about that or was that something that you constantly had to stay on top of? It's something you constantly need to remind them of. Yeah. They, the three-year-old can test themselves. They can do it, yeah. but do they want to do it? So, you know, if, yeah. if they're happy to do it, you do it. Let them do it. But if they're not, you don't have that expectation for them to do it. There is a thing called overload um, where they will just completely not want to look after it at all. So there's a fine line between um, getting them to self-manage but also you taking some responsibility because they do, they get a, a burnout and then um, the worst part is if they 
get burnt out at 14, 15, 16, they just then, out of your care, yeah. they just don't manage it at all. So is there any, and I just thought about this now from the, the, the stigma against it, for lack of a better word, of going to class and having to test yourself and because, you know, the classroom's a brutal, <laughs> a brutal place. Did your kids struggle with that and how did they manage with that? Um, early years, they, they didn't struggle and I think it was the way we implemented it throughout the school. So yeah. at the start of the school year when they had a, a new class in the primary school, I used to go up and um, talk to the teacher but then also give them a, a bit of a DVD to explain it to the rest of the kids and I would encourage them to get my child to actually um, stand up yeah. and explain what they're doing. Yeah. Even though my child was embarrassed, it just meant it was five minutes of embarrassment that was going to stop the yeah. rest of the... I'm, yeah. I'm laughing because, I mean, when, with, when I drop my 15-year-old off, the music comes off in the car like two kilometres in front of the school, <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let alone me getting up there and speaking in yeah. front of the class. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, well, I didn't speak in front of the class, <laughs> but um, and I, I've never really done that. I've left the teacher to do that with the child. So It's yeah. a good threat, though. I mean, no, do you know what I... I actually, my kids, I got mine to, um, no one was kissing me at the bus, at the train station. Yeah. So one day I was coming around the corner, I said, 10 bucks for the first person to kiss me. So they quickly kissed me and from then on they kissed me goodbye. Do they? Well, yeah. there you go. So there you go. you got to pay them just uh, once though. Bribery is a form of parenting, right? And I don't, yeah. judgment free, completely exactly. judgment free. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so, so from a school perspective, obviously them understanding it. Um, has it from those days, we're going back, what's that, 17 years now looking, ha, has it become more app-friendly or is it still in terms of, you know, with technology advancing, was it still that very much a habit manual process for kids today? It's very much a manual. Still like there is an app, obviously, to tell you blood glucose level, yeah. but you've either got to administer the insulin via a needle or an insulin pump. So all That's of my right. children are on yeah. an insulin pump, so you still got to press buttons. That's mm. crazy, hey? Um, you mentioned in your in your, your story throughout, throughout your business, which we'll get to in a bit, um, that your son Billy had celiac disease. Mm -hmm. um, I'd never heard of celiac disease before. I've recently just finished listening to a book called Grain Brain. Mm -hmm. All about yeah. wheat and uh, and gluten and which is and celiac disease comes up there often yes. in that book. Um, uh, and they mention obviously the high fat diet is. Do you want to just talk about what celiac disease is, how it relates to diabetes and? and so and, celiac disease is an autoimmune disease as yep. well, um, and they can't have wheat, oats, barley, rye, or malt. So a gluten free, completely yep. gluten free diet. Yeah, and and how did that? I mean, because gluten free wasn't a thing in two thousand and three. It's 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 how did that go from an adjustment perspective? That was that was another big learning curve mm. because obviously it's a whole new you know cooking things completely different and the contamination even stirring your pasta like if you were cooking gluten pasta and gluten free pasta yeah you shouldn't you know you can't wow. use the same spoon and yeah. then if you accidentally forget it do that but um. No, look, it, it it took time. It was just another thing we had to learn to do. Um, Billy accepted it quite well, but yeah. obviously we didn't eat any takeaway then because we couldn't sort of alienate him, no, you can't eat that. And yeah. it was very hard that back back then to get a lot of gluten-free food that was nice. So it was yeah. all up to baking and cooking. And lucky I was a good old country girl that I did that anyhow. That's crazy. Okay. And and did he, as well as celiac, did he have, was he type one as well? He, he was type one first and then he was diagnosed with celiac disease about, I think, eight or nine months afterwards. Wow. And when you, when you switched to a gluten-free diet for for him, the reason I ask loaded questions, my 
my son's gluten insensitive or sensitive sorry so how how quickly was the changeover before you noticed a a difference in him it it probably took time it was actually funny because my um my endocrinologist through my thyroid was asking i was showing symptoms so he started um explaining the symptoms of celiac disease to ask if i had it and i thought gee that's what billy's complaining of so then, you know, I went home and I talked to Billy about it. He goes, yeah, he used to get pains in his tummy every yeah. lunchtime. And what happened, his um, red blood cells were very small too. His iron stores yeah. were low. So um, obviously it takes time for your body to repair itself. But, yeah, he's good. And how's he adjusted now? I mean, just to being – is it just all he, he knows or? He has to. Obviously yeah. it's annoying, especially when they're – they're boys, they go out drinking. I'm sure. You know, they need to eat, especially yeah. with the diabetes. Um, it's it's quite difficult to yeah. to sometimes get the food into him. Yeah. Yeah. A lot it's healthier. But, I mean, it, you know, it's... It, it's, t- it's tough for a boy. Uh, well, boy, girl, whatever. But yeah. boys are so disorganised. Girls are more happier to be organised. Well, you look at my office. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I just, because, you know, boys are boys, right? Especially when you teenagers and you come out of school, you just, you, you're loose. I mean, we are. Yeah, and especially um, with their diabetes because, you know, they're, they're not carrying their meters, blood glucose meters around with them. You know, where are they going to wake up the next morning? They just yeah. go out with mates yeah. and, yeah, so it is a little bit of a worry. And it's still alive now, so we're good. <laughs> at what stage is it? I mean, because I, I haven't uh, got to the, you know, nights away when your daughters don't come home and, you know, when you freak out. Like, I mean, I know I'm assuming the answer is never, but, but at what stage do you just, I wouldn't say hand it over, but just know that you've done all you can from an education perspective? Oh, look, probably around that 15, oh, well, 16, 17, yeah. you know, you're still on to them while they're at home, but once they leave home, you've got nothing. And even, I suppose, the um, youngest one, he, being that he was around all the older ones, I probably was, you know, your lesson, you get a little bit slacker the, the more you have. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think my, well, my only had three. My third one taught herself how to potty train and ride a bike. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, Dad, I can they ride a bike. The yeah, others. they are. Yeah. Well, they just want to keep up, right? So yeah. they. They're brutal. Then uh, more more good news. March we 2014, a year later, uh, Freddie, I think it was from the blog. He also yeah. type one as well. Yeah. So so how old was he at the time? He was he was about two and a quarter, and it was funny because he used to actually test himself, and he he was obsessed with all the equipment that the kids had, yeah. and um, and he started waking up really grumpy at times at lunch, and I'd test him, and his levels were high. So it took it it really did my head in. I already had two. You know, I needed, I wanted to know whether he was going to get it. So they did a glucose tolerance test and it came back that he was developing it. So that was the hardest period because he didn't have it. It was six months before he started on insulin. But why can't I stop this from happening? You know, why can't there be something that prevents it? We've picked it up that he's getting it. Yeah. Let's stop it. But there was nothing I could do. And we even went, um, took the kids to the specialist. It was just a waiting game to when he started on insulin. And he was really grumpy and driving me crazy. And I said to the specialist, you know, can we put him on insulin? And he said, look, let's see what his HbA1c is, which is a three-month level of his blood glucose. Um, and it came back that he still wasn't to, to the level that they usually put him on insulin. Yeah. And two weeks later, he was just 
I knew he needed just insulin to bring his levels down, so I just actually started him myself. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I ended up telling the doctors a couple of weeks later, but... Hey, yeah, he was he was good. You know, we knew we knew the drill. Yeah. So 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 now you've got a it's two and a half year old. Yeah. And then what five year old and a fourteen year old. Is that right? Um, it was yeah. Well, Somewhere really, eight, yeah, it might have been ten, ten. Ten. Yeah, within two years, three of them were diagnosed. So ten and a half. As well as your husband, so there were four type ones in yeah, the house at the time. There was, yeah. <laughs> Seventeen times and four. And two celiac, and two celiac. Because Fred ended up being celiac as well. That's crazy. So seventeen times four is eight. Sixty-eight hours. Well, I didn't look after Steve. You know. <laughs> big enough and ugly enough to look after himself. That's crazy. So, so we, <laughs> so at some stage, and we want to, I want to get to you about all your animals. Let's talk about your animals. So based on your on your blog, you were, you've had alpacas, camels. You, amidst all of this that was happening, you were hand raising animals at the same time. Yeah. So before the kids got diabetes, yeah. I I lived on had forty three acres at Sanford, and being that I was the country girl, I just wanted animals. So I um, got a, a camel when it was a month old and bottle fed her with that, a cow. Where do you buy a camel in Australia? She came from Mount Isa. They were bringing feral camels down. Um, to the abattoir of all places. Um, but, yeah, I just said, uh, asked a friend who was carrying these camels if he could find me a baby. Yeah. And, yeah, I got a phone call and said, well, got your baby. And I went, oh, my God, how do I do this? So I had to Google. But I, I bottle-fed a lot of animals anyhow. So, um, yeah, bottle-fed so her. How long did you have a camel for? She was 21 before she died. Are you serious? Mm, That's amazing. Yeah, so she was, she was um, a month old when my daughter was six Six months old, yeah. So she was, she was another daughter, really. What yeah, is her she name? Was Claudia. <laughs> she After Schiffer? No, no, just Claudia. Our our animals had to start with what they were. So she was a camel. Okay. I had to start with C. So I had donkeys. We had Delilah, Daisy, Danielle, and Darcy. Um, alpacas, Andrew, Albert, uh, Alice, Amy. <laughs> so why the yeah. alpacas? Why not? <laughs> So, yeah, oh, I just I, I just loved animals. But yeah. I can remember when Charlie got diabetes and obviously alluding to how many hours a week it took to look after them. I, I had pheasants. I bred heritage poultry. Yeah. I had Cape Barren geese. I had just a, maybe a, a I had sheep. I had a dog a, maybe? A, we had three dogs. Yeah. Um, a Glar, a Major Mitchell, two cats. Oh, no, one cat. I had everything. I can remember feeding um, the the pheasants actually that day yeah. and I'm talking to Steve on the phone and I'm saying I'm going to have to get rid of all these animals like it was so much to learn um how to look after this child yeah. and do the right thing and obviously it was life or death so if I gave him too much insulin um yeah you could put him into yeah. a coma and he could die so you, you had to be so vigilant and um yeah it was really really daunting at, at the start there but yeah I got through it learned and still kept the animals and yeah That's it was good fun so but, but did you then, did you sleep ever no I'm an active person anyhow <laughs> and the, but the animals were my therapy I yeah. think it was my way I often wonder if I didn't have the animals how I would have gone mm. so it just meant I could step away that was my peace my my paddocks were my meditation even if the kids were with me doing it it was just a very peaceful exercise that's actually the question I, I, I phrased for what I wanted to ask you later was how did you find time for yourself but they 
that, I mean, that kind of answered the question, right? That's how you just yeah. stepped away from the, the crazy treadmill you are. Yeah, and it, it, it was my hobby. Obviously, five children didn't allow me a lot of time with or without diabetes go to go and do my own hours, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so this was my own thing yeah. within that family unit. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it was about bottle feeding, hand raising animals. I'm very maternal anyhow, mm. hence five children. And I always say if I didn't get to bottle feed those animals, I would have had more children. Like really I probably would have had a sixth. Yeah. Um, but Charlie got diabetes around that time. I would have started thinking of having another child. Yeah, six under thirty. Come on, man. Under, <laughs> I would have been thirty-two. You're an you're an underachiever. <laughs> uh, so, amidst all of this, you started a business, right? Obviously, uh, diabetes easy. Diabetes easy. Diabetes easy. Just me and my right. naming, right? Uh, you obviously, spotted a gap in the market. What what was lacking, and, and what opportunity did you spot? Okay, so I had three three kids with diabetes. You know, you're cooking for five. Well, cooking for seven in the family. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's dinner time, kids. So they all come, little babies, whatever. Okay, have you tested yourself? So I'd have to go and test the three kids, prick yeah. their finger to see what their blood glucose level was before dinner so then I could work out their insulin dose. Um, but you have to get them to wash their hands before they test because they, if they'd eaten an apple two hours prior, that fruit sugar is still on their oh, finger. Wow. So you prick their finger and that fruit sugar mixes with, sorry, the blood mixes with the fruit sugar yeah. and elevates a reading. So you're getting an incorrect blood glucose reading, which if you're administering insulin to, can yeah. have really yeah. adverse effects. And sorry to cut in, but would, would you, based on their level, would you change what was for dinner or would that just mean change the dosage of insulin or change, both? Change the dose of insulin. Okay, so the dinner Never, was... No. Dinner, dinner was dinner. Yeah. But that was sort of gluten-free anyway, I'm assuming, or did you cook Glut too? Gluten-free doesn't mean carb-free. So, yeah, okay. so we still got to work out how much insulin dose for that amount of carb, but even potatoes carb. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've got a whole different lot of, um, and did you cook two meals or did the whole family become gluten-free, I guess, by um, just through really at the start, you know, obviously if you're having a pasta meal, yeah. the gluten-free pasta is probably not as nice, no. but it's, a, it was a lot more expensive. So it wasn't Aldi in those days. No, that's know. right. So you've got your, your pot of gluten pasta and your pot of gluten-free pasta, yeah. your sauces and everything else would be um, gluten-free. Yeah. So yeah, we would have probably different meals sometimes. A lot of the times they wouldn't realize they're having different, but also getting back to, we used to have to weigh, weigh how much pasta went on the plate because, you know, 100 wow. grams of pasta is 28 grams of carbohydrate. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do all of this. <laughs> so, so okay, get back to why I'm I just trying to be at a restaurant running the numbers. <laughs> and it is like that. Yeah. I used to wait until after everyone, I used to weigh the, the dish out so yeah. I knew how much carbs but it wasn't till after dinner i would sit down and have my headspace to actually work out how much insulin really you should probably give the insulin before food yeah but what if they didn't eat all their food so then if you'd given the insulin and they didn't eat it all then you're in trouble with hypos so um but yes getting back to how i started the company yeah. i actually ended up working out that if i got cut up Chuck's cloths and put them in a little pill box yeah. and had them there, I could wipe their finger quickly. What are Chuck's cloths? You know, little dishcloths. Oh, okay. You know, your little yeah. fine little yeah. dishcloths. So I 
cut them up like little tissues really yeah. and moisten them and put them in a container so that then I would say, okay, kids, test yourself. So I could wipe just their finger yeah. because you think of washing your hands and then you got to dry your hands and do that by three. So this way I could quickly wipe their finger, dry their yeah. finger and actually and test did that, them. And did that sit in an alcohol substance or... Mm. No, because alcohol can actually affect the blood glucose le level. So what I actually did is just had it moistened with water for okay. starters. Yeah, so yeah. I used to just cut these up myself. But over time, because I used to use them so much, I started getting this little production that I, I was ironing and folding and, and moistening and doing a whole heap so I could fit them in all these little containers. While breastfeeding a camel. No, well, <laughs> breastfeeding. I'm not sorry. that sick. Bottle feeding, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Slip of tongue there, man. <laughs> I was just painting a crazy picture. <laughs> it's a image. funny picture, though. That I, mean, is a, I know. I'm very visual. <laughs> Um, and cut. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Sorry, Harvey, to wake you up. Our oh, dog is, my dog is, yeah. Anyway, so you, yeah, so you started ironing. So, yeah, so I used to cut these chucks cloths up, you yeah. know, six centimetres long, fold over two centimetres. I'd put five this way, five this way, so I could fit 20 in a little pillbox. Yeah. So each of the kids' cases had these little pillboxes filled with wipes yeah. because it was in the middle of the night when I was testing them too. So you knew that when you tested them, if their finger was clean, if yeah. you cleaned it, it would be accurate. Yeah. So um, then I used to make so many that I noticed moistening with boiled water, they'd start going moldy. So I kept them in the freezer. So then I started researching what solution I could yeah. use that wouldn't affect the blood glucose level but have a, a shelf life on them. Yeah. So it took me to, oh, my God, if... This is helping me this much. Imagine how much it's helping other people. Yeah. But two, it's that risk of having those, um, the incorrect reading and yeah. giving the insulin too. So one day we got a phone call from the daycare centre and they were saying that um, Fred, who was only three at the time, was his levels were 21. And I heard Steve on the phone to them and Steve was about to talk them through giving him an, an injection yeah. because that's quite high for a little kid who just had lunch as well. So um, I heard Steve doing that and I said, look, can I speak to them? Mm. And I knew his level wasn't as high at morning tea. So I thought there's no way he should be 21. So I said, has he washed his hands? They said, yes. And I said, well, can you just get one of those wipes out of the case, wipe yeah. his hand and retest him? And his level came down to 13. Which wow. is still higher than you want it, but still, if you'd given insulin for the for that 21, dosage, yep. you're, you're in a lot of trouble. And then he was about to go for his day's sleep. So what if this child had just gone for a sleep and you think, oh, he's just so tired, he's yep. having, a, having a, a longer sleep than normal, but he could be in a coma because his blood glucose level would drop that low. So it's really important to clean the fingers. So oh. that's how I started um, researching that I couldn't find anyone in the world to build this this smaller wipe because I yeah. wanted a four by four centimeter interleaved yeah. wipe. And during that time of looking for a manufacturer throughout the world, I ended up um, working with an industrial designer on that. But I also got him to help me design a case to fit all the equipment in. Yeah. Um, Which would be, I mean, for, for the layman's who don't know, what would be in that case typically? So um, what I was carrying for each child was two uh, pen needles. One yeah. was a long-acting insulin, one's a short-acting insulin. And that's to administer it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're like, a, um, like a syringe. It's just a pen, yeah, but right. it's got the, um, yeah, it's a needle, yeah. this insulin's in it. Um, 
their logbook to record the levels because that's really important to understand where their levels are to help you work out the insulin dose. Um, their blood glucose meter, the Lancet device to use to um, prick their finger, yeah. extra needle tips, extra Lancet tips, um, a biro to write in the logbook, the wipes to, to clean the fingers. So I wanted this case so that no matter where I was, I could just pull out this case. Yeah. Obviously, I had three kids and Steve. There was all this equipment laying around. So, you know, you go to get out get out of the house. Well, whose meters who? Whose yeah. testers? You know, whose logbooks who? This way, a case to fit everything in made my life a lot easier. That's crazy. So how, how did that journey go once you said you found that industrial designer? Did, did you do that locally or get it manufactured in China? Or how, how did that whole, how, yeah. how did that all sort of come from concept to fruition? Yeah, well, we ended up um, looking everywhere throughout the world, like I said, for the wipes machine. Um, we ended up on a trip that he went to, ended up talking to some Australian that was also looking for manufacturers. They Their interpreter knew a factory that yeah. may do it. In, said in China, in China actually. Yeah. And then um, then we actually had to get that factory when they said yes to actually um, design a machine. We had to get um, engineers wow. to design the machine to, to build it, to start making it. So during that time, we actually got another factory to start making these cases. So um, we also I also designed a logbook to help record a little bit more yeah. information about all their levels because a the logbook there just had morning tea and whether you tested at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock yeah. had a huge you know if you had breakfast at six o'clock and then morning tea at nine o'clock there's only three hours yeah since your last insulin dose so there's a lot of factors you've got to factor in also the kids if they had PE at school you know things <laughs> like that um to look back oh. to look for patterns i'm freaking out man uh, oh look i just think thank god i don't have to live it anymore it's always giving me anxiety again. no it's giving me anxiety i always <laughs> Never going to complain. My kids always hear, there's only one of me, you know, all the time. Um, and But just moving to, I just want to go back to the business, but just from a, my understanding from modern day, the, the meters that test, is that now, I'm, I'm a nerd, right? Is that synced to a, an app now so you can get that logbook digitally or is it still no one's there yet? Yeah, no, you can. You can, um, the one that you, the CGM that you wipe over, that's straight to an app. You can download them yeah. to an app. Um, but I'm old school and I really think that that's what helped me understand diabetes is actually sitting down. You know, you can flick through pages. You don't tend to flick through an app to yeah. see what you've eaten. And I really used the, the logbook to have a look at the last time they had a pasta meal because pasta is low GI. So yeah. you'd actually have to really change the insulin dose because you're working with a long acting and a short acting insulin for dinner. So you actually have to... A, um, a pasta meal, they would need more long-acting insulin and less short-acting insulin, where if they had rice, we would have to have more short-acting insulin, less long-acting insulin. Because that's so, high GI. High GI, yeah. that's right. So I would quickly flick back through the pages and go, okay, this is a night that they had uh, rice. We're having rice tonight. And then, okay, this is the activity they did that day. So is this similar? This is what level they were before I gave them and then look at their levels throughout the night yeah. on that night that week prior to see what happened. So see if if I need to change it, if they had a hypo if they had in the middle of the, order or whatever yeah, the night, I had to adjust that. So I really do find that writing it down um, 
you know, they say write it down and watch shit get real. Well, it does. Yeah, I mean, as part of part of the the courses that that we do, the first mod lesson is print stuff out and write it down. Yeah. Like if you don't, because there's there's a, there's a cognitive thing of physically, you know, putting pen to paper and you know rather than just thinking or imagining whatever you want to achieve. You take ownership of it. And I find even now logbooks are good for type 2s because type 2 is diet controlled. And a lot of type 2s don't understand their diabetes and they go to the GP and the GP goes, oh, you've just got to test yourself just in the morning. Well, yeah, but they don't understand that their levels change throughout the day. And I, if I ever have any access or interaction with someone with type 2, I'll say just, just for a week, test yourself sort of five times a day see what happens and then write their levels down because and if they record what they're eating they'll actually start taking ownership you know rather than having five bickies for morning tea Mm -hmm. they'll see their levels are higher well they might have two and then see their levels are lower so they're actually really taking ownership for their health so to me type two my understanding's just diet based right it's like a high sugar diet onsets diabetes type two diabetes no they're uh, look and I'm no doctor or nurse, yeah. but sometimes they're, they're, they're missing a hormone that yeah. releases the um, insulin into their bloodstream, but also their body mass, their body's not producing enough insulin to cover their body mass. So because of obesity. Because of obesity. Yeah. But then there's also the type 2s that are my size, yeah. but their body just doesn't produce enough insulin. So it's really hard. Type two, there sh- there shouldn't be the same name. It, there should be a lifestyle diabetes yeah. and a hereditary diabetes. Are the two type twos I see, because some people are just predisposed to type two. But back to your question, the the actual a lot of type twos are on um, tablets. Well, let's see that that was going to be my next question. I guess is that from I go to America a lot for work and. I also have got a, a good or bad habit of watching too many documentaries. I'm a, like I'm an information. I love information about anything, but type two diabetes is like a huge, huge problem in the US. Um, but just the, you know, just my friends over there and, and and everyone you go to, it's it's a meds first stance to stuff, right? Rather than rather than sort out your nutrition, your lifestyle, yes. it's like we're yep. going to medicate Take you it. with yep. these fourteen side effects. We're going to deal with it through the prescription path um i don't know if that was just a a soapbox moment or a question but is 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 that something you see as well yeah i i actually think it's um a lack of education in those very first stages of diagnosis so people get told um we're talking type twos here they say you're pre-diabetic the doctor says you're pre-diabetic but they don't uh, uh, well the majority of people don't get explained what they can do then to prevent becoming type 2 diabetic and I think that you know they've got 15 minutes with the doctor 20 minutes with the doctor at most so that's not enough time for the GP to explain it but also I think the GPs are time poor but um, it's easy to just say here take this tablet I think then there needs to be that interaction with a um, diabetes educator straight away to tell them how they can make the changes. So yeah. a lot of times, a lot of people can prevent type 2 then just by exercising, just by watching what they eat. And they can still, it's not to say it's just sugar. People think, oh, they've just got to eliminate sugar. But it's actually eliminating carbohydrates. 
because carbohydrates is a form of sugar. Yeah. So they think they're told to go on a, a low GI diet. But if you read the low GI nutrition, it's it's a portion size. So they think they're having a, a low GI meal, yeah. but they're having such a Six large portions, portion yeah. of it or having it continually throughout the day that that low GI is just continually through their body. But I also think going on insulin is is um, sort of presented to the patient like you're being a bad patient if you go on insulin. But really, if, if they went on, they would have to be on the tablets probably anyhow. Mm. But if they start on insulin earlier, they actually can balance that insulin, you know, their blood glucose level a lot better, which will enable them to have a more balanced lifestyle. I, I do think one day there, there, there'll be some changes. And, and look, it's one of my things that eventually one day I would, I would love to get in there and help the type twos. Yeah. Yeah. So your, um, what, what's type two like in Australia from this, from our local market? Is it as oh, big as in the US? Or? Yes. Yes. Because uh, I think we, the, and I'm tying obesity with type two here, but so that, I mean, not South Africa, <laughs> Australia is third or fourth largest obesity rate in the world or something Ooh, i think I don't it's up know there my statistics no it's up there yeah it is up there which is bizarre if you live here on the coast where you don't you know, mainly active people but it's the numbers are up there yeah but people are just eating carbs yeah processed food constantly and it's becoming a you're abnormal when you are thin everyone <laughs> is you know bigger not up here though uh, no, up no. the coast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're good. We're very active up here. It's a shout out to a good friend of mine, Jamie. He's a good, very good American friend, and he uh, he arrived and he spent a week with me on the coast. And he said to me, "I can see." He said he looked. He looked at me. He said, "I see my dad bod hasn't taken off in Australia." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no, people are pretty pretty active up here, yeah. which is which is fortunate. Pulling back, sorry, we we got sidetracked, which I love, but pulling back to your business, so. Mm-hmm. From the concept, finding the factory, getting the manufacturing, what is what is what does that lifespan look like? How did it all, you know, from the sketching on a napkin to actually having your first product? How long did that take? I started the company. I registered the name in two thousand and four. Yeah, and we didn't start um, selling product to probably mid to the end of two thousand and six. Wow. Hmm. That's. I mean, and then from. I, I, I don't have to answer this question, but if they're setting up factories specifically for you, is that a huge capital investment for you or is that the sort of an agreement with a manufacturer? How, how does that all work? I didn't I didn't set up the factory. A factory said that they would do my product for yeah. me, but I, I did have to buy the machine. So, okay. yeah, there was an outlay there, but um, I suppose you've got to just take a chance. And, sure. you know, I was I've lucky it, 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 it went well. But it took a while yeah. um, and I was lucky probably I had, you know, the backing of my husband, ex-husband now yeah. but and that family that we could keep it going. I also had a lot of um, respect from the diabetes educators. Um, they knew about Steve's diabetes and then when our children started getting diagnosed, um, they had utmost respect for for me yeah. and my company and could see where these products came from. Yeah. So it was a good story not only um, to to tell their clients, you know, this this mother has got three children with diabetes. If they had a newly diagnosed parent, it's, it's like a grieving process. When your child is diagnosed with um, diabetes or any disease, or something that's life, you know, forever, life-changing like that, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loss 
of the life you thought your child would have mm. and it's a loss of the life you thought you would have. So there's a huge um, grief within that and it takes most parents probably about six weeks to get through that. Um, that stage and then the child's all happy and healthy, you know, or coping mm. well. But after that six week or during that six week towards the end of that, that's when the child goes, oh, God, I don't want diabetes. They were sort of quite excited at the start because yeah. it's something new and different. Yeah. But after that six weeks, they go into their meltdown. And it's funny because you would think after the first diagnosis that, okay, well, I've been through that, yeah. but I went through it. With every wow. diagnosis, it's actually yeah, it's interesting because I was knowing it was coming, but weird question: do, do parents ever not get over it and get stuck like most people can do in life? Right, you get stuck on a certain event or something. Does that ever happen, or is it was it more the life and death that you just have to get over it? You get over it to a certain extent because yeah. you've got to move on. But I think some people take it harder than others. I wanted my children to have the best life possible. I wanted them to be positive. And I looked at myself and thought, well, if I hate diabetes, they're going to hate diabetes. If I say, no, you can't do that because you've got diabetes, they're going to hate diabetes. Mm. So it was, no, you've just got to do it. That's just what we've got to do. Or you can't, you know, they'd say, can I have a, um, a piece of cake? Mm. Well, you know what? I'm not going to say, no, you can't have that because you've got diabetes. I would say, go test yourself, okay? And if their level wouldn't allow it, I'd say, well, yeah, you can have it, but you need a needle. So which one do you want, yeah. needle and a piece of cake or no cake? And they would choose the needle and the piece of cake, even a three-year-old would. <laughs> but good on them. They're yeah, making choices. That's it, empowering them. That's what they're going to yeah. have to do for the rest of their life. So it is it is a, um, a grief that will still sit with you, though. I I'm think sure. it's it's And that's probably what the educators and the endocrinologists would use probably us as role models as a family like you can get up you can have healthy children you know you feel like your whole life's fallen apart right now but look at this family you know and then she's created these products yeah. to help you know you okay so back to 2006 when your product started coming out so i'm just doing my maths here in my head 17 34 so we had 51 hours of diabetes care <laughs> We are not breastfeeding camels. They've they since been weaned. Um, your product is out. You obviously, as anyone who starts a business, we think it's going to explode and it takes longer. What are your, you know, you, you mentioned you had the respect of the community. What were your, because this wasn't a Facebook, Instagram, social media world back then. Um, how did you get it out? Was it, was it going to events? Was it speaking? What, what is your, your path to try to break into as many markets as possible? It was going to the conferences. Yep. I mainly um, marketed to the diabetes educators um, because they're seeing, you know, 10, 12, 15 patients a day. Yep. Um, so it was the national conferences, um, each state as well as there was one big national conference for the educators and speaking engagements, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's funny. It was a very slow process. I, I never set up the business probably to to be a businesswoman to 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 really make money i was just doing it from passion something yeah. i loved and something i wanted to help you know other people so that slow incline didn't worry me um i was still really busy my my um main priority was managing my children 
and keeping them happy and healthy. So those hours, yeah. you know, what did you say? 50-something hours. <laughs> they were, it was more my kids. I, I only used to work. Obviously, the kids were still around the home. And when I started the company, Fred was only three. So he used to, you know, sit and watch ABC Kids and came at one morning tea. He came sitting at the kitchen bench and he goes, Bacterial doesn't like the cold. And I tried to understand, but he'd seen a show on bacteria. Yeah. So, you know, he, he educated himself while I worked away. But um, I, I probably worked the company, so I only, I only ever worked three or four hours a day. Oh, nice. Um, and I still probably pretty much try and do that, <laughs> even though I've got no excuse at kids. That's no, fine. It's judgment-free, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and, and when did you start? I started in Australia, I'm assuming. When, when did you start expanding to the international market? It was it, all, all the while, just slowly mm. um, started getting more and more. We spoke over at um, some, a, the International Diabetes Federation Conference over in Montreal. Oh, wow. You know, we just started to get more, I don't know, traction. We spoke over for Medtronic over in the US and um, they ended up putting our products on, which is fantastic. So, you know, yeah, just slowly, word of mouth. And uh, you still at the same factory today? No, I've, well, I was at as in as in in China. Um, yeah, pretty much actually. Yeah, most of my factories haven't changed. Yeah. That's cool. Mm. And if you had look at look at the evolution of your product um, from, I'm assuming the need doesn't change, right? But what what would you do differently looking at your products? Your you know your Gen One version of your product compared to how you've evolved today. Do you know what? It hasn't changed. It hasn't. No. That's awesome. Man. Which which is which is interesting. You think you should put some change. If anything, I was one of the first in the industry. Yeah. Um, uh, and my my passion was to make it bright and colourful. Everything was black and boring. Yeah. Uh, it was only a case to fit bl- the blood glucose meter in. It wasn't a case to fit everything in. But there are companies now out there that are producing bags, cases, um, uh, lycra pump bands, Unfortunately, um, or I, I try and take it as a compliment, but yeah. a lot of them have copied me. And I knew, like, the uh, Lycra band that I came up with for the kids um, was, you know, made on the kitchen bench with the sewing machine while Big Brother was on TV many years ago. Big so, Brother, wow, there we um, go. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it hasn't changed because it's what I needed. Yeah. Um, I, it has been put to me to change it, and I don't know how I would change it um, to actually be able to fit all the equipment in and to make it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the copying thing, it is a huge compliment, but, I mean, trademark law and copyright law, right? From what I understand, you change a button and then you, it's just, you just, you know, the only people winning there are the lawyers. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and you've got a big company that come in and, you yeah. know, smash a little company. So, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing I can do about that. So business still good. How did you go through COVID? I mean, people aren't not going to get sick during COVID. No, and diabetes, um, you know, is not going to go away during mm. COVID. And if anything, it's been more vigilant with cleaning the fingers before testing because oh, of all well, the alcohol, yeah. um, you know, uh, wipes or alcohol cleaning on the hands that can actually affect the blood glucose levels. So they've got to make sure their fingers are oh, because clean. all the the alcohol the anti- can elevate the. The blood glucose level. And have you been hit by the supply chain issues? No, uh, fortunately enough, I've got enough product in stock. I do, okay. Yeah. Nice. So we got our big shipment um, in, in January. So we were right, yeah, 
Okay. So, so when would you say when you know once you went to market? When was the first time you had the feeling of this company's we okay? We're doing it. We profitable. We expanding. How long do you think that took? And do you yeah. remember where that was? Where you had that moment? I can actually because um, I got divorced in two thousand and twelve, and I actually the company was worth nothing, mm. and I took on the debt of the company in the settlement, um, and it took another year and then we got a, a really good distributor and yeah. it started taking off from there so you know that was a good six eight, seven years yeah. nine yeah. years yeah from from selling products yeah. yeah yeah so you know it's it's a a risk you take but like i say i was doing it out of passion it um it was something that i really wanted to do to help other people and for the children listening passion is key right so I always tell my kids, like, do what you love. I don't care. Yes. If you do what you love and it means something, it'll you'll figure it out. Exactly. Somewhere along the way. Um, okay, cool. So 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 we've got a business. We've got uh, your daughter's diagnosis. Oh. So we didn't stop at three, right? We're an overachiever. No, well, actually, it was my son's first of all. So I don't know if I mentioned. So the daughter actually got a brain tumor um, or diagnosed with a brain tumor. Be t- just after so every eight months there was something so i diagnosed with diabetes yeah. another diagnosis of diabetes oh well i always think that the universe is testing me mm. you know okay she's got two with diabetes she's coping with that okay we're going to give her a celiac disease okay she coped with that okay we're going to you're going to have an autoimmune diabetic. disease yeah yeah you're yeah. going to have another diabetic give her a celiac and then my daughter um had a couple of seizures and we went in to see a neurologist and um, we thought we were, she was just going to go on to epilepsy medication yeah. and they found a brain tumour, that little Christ. spot in her brain. So it was the How next, old was she at that she stage? She was only nine and a half. Oh, man. So that was huge. Um, My baby's nine and a half now, so it's like crazy. And where it was, it was inoperable. So we just had to sit and wait and see if it grew. There was yeah. nothing we could do. So that was a really challenging and that's probably a turning point Two, even though I look positively at the kids' diabetes, it was a real turning point going, oh, my God. Okay, diabetes I can manage. Yeah. Brain tumours I can't. Uh-uh. Um, but fortunately enough, as time went on, the, the, the spot didn't change. Yeah. Didn't grow. So, And then she got off the medic, epilepsy medication about 18 months. Wow. Okay. To two years afterwards. And then was she also diagnosed after that with no, type 1? No, well then, so she's, she was only 10 there. Yeah. Um, she has been only last year diagnosed yeah. with type 1, so she's 24 yeah. um, now. But my eldest son was diagnosed with um, type 1 when he was just before his 17th birthday. So, just before schoolies. Yeah, well, he was a year, a year older starting, uh, so he uh, had another year before he went to schoolies. But um, that was, he, look, he took it in his stride. Yeah. He understood it. We got him on an insulin prompt um, within a, a couple of weeks or yeah. a week. Um, so he did really well with that. And then, yeah, my daughter, she was um, diagnosed in March, but also prior Charlie, the first one to get diabetes, um, when he was three, when he was 16, he was diagnosed with Addison's disease which is an autoimmune disease as well, yep. but it's an adrenal gland failure. So so tell me about, I always uh, carry on when I tell my stories that I uh, I have adrenal gland fatigue because I was const- constantly on fight and flight mode yeah. for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. But is what, what exactly does it mean? Because that's just me making stuff um, up. Well, their body doesn't produce um, adrenaline like it's, so they need to 
um, yeah, artificially. So do you just yeah. exhaust it constantly or? The body's attacked, it has attacked itself. It's just like wow. the body um, for diabetes, the yep. body uh, attacks the pancreas. This is a attacking the... Um, That's crazy. And, and how do you cure that? There's no cure. So they're on medication. So so Charlie got that when he was 16 and one in 100,000 get um, Addison's disease. And then Sunita, my daughter, she yep. was diagnosed with Addison's disease um, probably about three months before the diabetes. Yeah. So I've got two. <laughs> the universe has tested <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, it has. Finally. Well, um, you, you know I'm what, done. I'm done. You're not in Enough. a padded cell, so you've done a right. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what the animals did, kept me out of that padded that cell. That padded cell. Okay, so so where are you all your, you're all your kids out of the house, left the nest, all in the city, getting on with life? Yeah, they are. They, um, they moved out a lot quicker yep. than I expected. Um, <laughs> The, um, unfortunately, the universe tested me again and I lost my house to a fire, wow. um, house fire completely And that was the farm, that was down. the farm, right? The, yeah, the big property. Yeah, the farm, yeah. yeah. So that was um, three and a half years ago. So before the fire, I had three of the kids still living at home. Yeah. Um, fortunately, no one was home, so no one got injured. But, um, yeah, that dispersed them. So um, the two younger boys lived one with a girlfriend, one with the dad. Yeah. But the funny is the one that was living with the girlfriend was dating the other brother's girlfriend's sister. So we had two brothers and t- going two, out d- with two, two sisters. Sis- so technically well. he was uh, yeah. living with family anyhow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so since then, um, yeah, they, they haven't really come home because I lived in the city for a little while. They come and stayed with me occasionally, yeah. but then they wanted me. I moved back out to the farm to another house there and yeah they were all just you know teenagers and want to be close to their mates and partying so so i mean they must be country bumpkins at heart as well right how how they are they just enjoying the city life and do they have that side of them as well that they always will need space do you think they do they've still so i've still got the farm in sanford okay and um they do frequent it a lot for parties and no one's there to look at it. So they have a, a little fire and yeah. take their mates out and have awesome. a couple of drinks yeah. and yeah, they they still but they are that country is has been bred in them. Yeah. It's interesting, even though they've only been a half an hour out of the city, they they are that country sort yeah. of personality. It's like for me I grew up in the ocean, right? My folks always had a beach house and we were just grew up from five or six surfing, diving, not fishing because I get bored. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's just who you are. Yeah. Like if I, I lived in London, I was meant to stay there for five years to get a passport. And after two and a half years of being away from the sea, I'm like, I'm out. Too much. So yeah. I just, I, I'm, it went mad. It'll be interesting how I go now that I'm at Sunshine, just um, yeah. in a suburban house. Because <laughs> I haven't lived in a suburban house since I was 25. That's crazy. So you, so have you? Did you rebuild on the farm? Do you want something smaller, or did you just? No, I didn't want to make any decisions because, in a way, that was the family. That was the animals. All that passion, yeah. the kids. You know that had all changed. So now I'm just really trying to find my new, yeah. my next chapter, the new normal. And I often wonder if the universe. You know, I lost my house. The universe said, "Okay, it's time for it's you time, to move yeah. on." Yeah. So. I'm a big believer in the universe. Truly, it's a you know maybe it was the closing of a chapter, That's right. uh, in a, in a brutal way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you you lived in the city as you mentioned a bit, and then came up to live on the beach. Um, you you I know we off camera we spoke about you always coming up here. So, 
beach life compared to farm life? Actually, I'm enjoying it. I, um, I, I've swapped, I would say, I've swapped the paddocks and grass for the ocean yep. and sand. And I, it's really important for me to walk on that beach. So I'm walking at least once a day, if not twice a day, just to get that space. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a busy person and without the children, without a farm, because after the fire I did move back out onto one of the houses, as I said, and I ended up getting 20 sheep again. <laughs> and I, st- I still had seven cows to, uh, I know I'd actually got rid of my donkeys by then. And, but I still wanted that lifestyle, but I didn't want to do the work. Yeah. I'd sort of lost that passion for that. So that told me, you know, okay, I can come into suburbia. I lived in a unit up here for six months and thought, okay, yeah, mm. I'll buy a house. But I, I do miss that getting out, getting grass under my feet. Mm. I've got a, a little garden. I've only been in the place for 18, um, sorry, two months, two and a half months. But I've already got a veggie patch, there you know, you fully established yeah. and tomatoes growing and everything. So that's my little farmer side <laughs> happening. And, and a puppy to eat it all. Yeah, well, that's I just got a puppy two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm building that little family. <laughs> Your poor, and an alpaca in the garage. Well, no, but what I do want is a micro donkey. I don't know. Have you ever seen micro uh, donkeys? No, I've seen a micro puppy. I mean, a micro horse. Um, uh, a mini horse or a, a mini, micro? A, no, no, a mini one. Okay, so there's micro donkeys that are about the size of a um, a border collie. You serious? So I've just got to check with the Sunshine Coast Council, Council. to see if I can have one of those in the backyard. <laughs> uh, uh, you'll probably have to deal with Noosa Council. Oh, yeah, Noosa, yeah, 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 I'd say so. They're very fancy. Well, you know, if they imported Noosa, it'll probably be all right, right? Wow, we'll So all the see. fancy people. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, businesses. So, um just to start wrapping up, I guess. Um, it's a crazy journey. Um, the more I hear, the more I shake my head and my kids are, um, I'm not going to shit on them for leaving their towel on the floor anymore. It's a different perspective mm-hmm. of what you've been through. Um, any, any, any advice for, I guess, three bits of advice or any form of advice for parents, as you said, who coming to terms with diabetes, you know, what are the must-dos and, and how do they deal with, you know, my life's over and any, any, I always say um, if I have the opportunity to speak to any newly diagnosed parents, I'll, I'll always just say be mindful of your words to the children, as I mm. said earlier. Be positive. Um, life is normal. It's just a, a different type of normal. They can do it, anything. And my children are testament to living life to the fullest. It doesn't stop them from doing anything. And I think that's from way back from me being positive and not blaming anything on Mm. diabetes. Um, Allow them to eat anything. They can have sugar. They can have lollies. They can have soft drink. It's just balancing it with insulin. So if you can teach them early stages that, they're going to do it anyhow. So so why not, uh, uh, you know, embrace that? But obviously they've got to have a healthy. You've got to teach them, you know, those healthy lifestyle. But, um, yeah, don't stop them from doing anything. Just stay positive. Yeah. Absolutely. Children are a product of their environment, right? Definitely. So, Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So where can people find you online? www.diabeteasy.com. And what is next for your business and for you? Any exciting plans? Um, for the business, uh, focus more on international, mm-hmm. um, get a, a few more larger distributors. We, we have got 
um, them already worldwide, but focus a bit more on that. Yeah. Uh, travel for me. I'd love nice. to. Um, I'd love to travel more. I haven't had the opportunity, obviously, taking five kids around <laughs> didn't, with diabetes didn't really um, interest me. Let alone the cost of it, man. Yeah, and if I can, if I can blend in the travel with yeah. the, the business, yeah, perfect. So where's in the bucket list for travel? Italy. Mm. Um, I went to France last year or year before last. Um, Greece. Yeah, I'm, I'm. The Med. Yeah, I'd say. Who knows? Wherever, <laughs> wherever life takes me, I'm up for anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm very blessed through my tech business. I speak a lot around the world as well, and it's just such a cool way to travel, right? Yeah. A, it's a tax deduction, but yeah. B, you can just see places. It's a, it's a very. Something I'm very, very thankful for. What I, I say I would love to do is go and live um, three months in one country. Yeah. And then come back for three months. And, and I'm not a grandmother yet, but I dare say I will be at some stage. <laughs> then I can be a, a good grandmother for three months yeah. and then go to another country for three months and just immerse myself into a little yeah. village and get to know the locals. So that was always my plan, strangely. I was going to, you know, through my tech before this venture started, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to, you know, once the kids had left the coop, was go live in New York and live in, live in those big cities but be a local and, you know, get a three, six-month contract. Yeah. But now um, my boat and the, the South Pacific is calling. Is it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Lucky <laughs> That's my new dream. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And from me to you, I just, I can take my hat off, right? It's just amazing what you've been through and your positivity is awesome. And I'm sure will inspire everyone listening. So well done. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, Cliff. Thank you.